Welcome, I am Bree. I'm a doctor of physical therapy, the founder of Femme Fusion Fitness, and the author of Lady Bits, Understand Your Body, Elevate Your Health, and Reclaim Your Spark Naturally. My mission is to build community and awareness around women's wellness and pelvic health. I invite you to listen, laugh, learn about, and love all of the bits that make you whole. Let's go to the show. Hello, my friends. Try to. I actually (laughs) recorded about 20 minutes of this uh, podcast today. Well, I thought I was recording it, but guess what? I didn't ever push record. Oh my gosh. Oh well, live and learn. And I really am excited to share this particular pod with you, so I'm just going to do it again. So here we go. Today, we have another fun episode, which is inspired by episode 60, a few shows back, where I told you about me. It was a get to know me podcast, which felt kind of self-indulgent to (laughs) to just share information about me and to answer questions about me. But I will assure you that if you go back and listen to episode 60, there is actually a much bigger message and kind of a bigger lesson. So if you, it's, it's not just about me. It's actually something that you can apply to you as well. So I hope you'll go back and listen to episode 60 if you haven't if you haven't yet. But I was so blessed to get some really, really beautiful feedback on that show and just to hear and to know that you really enjoyed listening to it. So thank you to everyone who reached out and said, that was so fun. And also thank you to the people who sent in extra questions afterwards. So I got additional questions that either came in late and I didn't get a chance to answer them or people just, you know, randomly asked some questions afterwards. So I'm going to answer them today. And again, it does feel a little bit self-indulgent to be answering even more questions about myself, but it sounds like you guys like it. And I know that I enjoy sharing more about me. It makes me feel closer to you. It makes me feel like we have more of a connection when you know more about me and then I feel like I just love it when you all kind of start opening up to me on Instagram or social media that kind of thing it's just fun and like I said from what I've heard y'all enjoy listening to your you know favorite podcasters and stuff like that you like learning more about their real life so that's what we're going to do today and after I answer a few questions that are very very random and super super fun I am going to go into a little a little something that I've been wanting to share with you for a while. It's the top three things in, that we never learned about our pelvic floor in school. So let me say that again. I kind of tripped over my words. Okay, but it's the top three things about your pelvic floor that you didn't learn in school. You did not learn in school. Apparently, I'm having a really tough time with that title, <laughs> but... The, the point is, let's go ahead and get to that. But first, let's answer these fun questions. Okay, so the first question is, how tall are you? Which I thought was really fun when that came in because I always kind of wonder that about people too. I love, um, I'm a very visual person and I love imagining what people actually look like. And so I am five foot eight, five foot eight inches. And I know that a lot of people, um, have some people I should say have met me in real life after just seeing me um, online like on my YouTube channel or that kind of thing and they've been surprised they've said wow you're so much taller than I thought you'd be so I'm certainly not what I'd consider like really really tall but maybe a bit on the taller side so yeah five foot eight inches 
Okay, so the next question is, what is your sign? Which I love this one because it's like, it's like that old, what's your sign, baby, <laughs> thing. And so my sign is a really cool mixed bag of, of signs. I love it. And I feel like when I learned about my birth chart, it just explained so much about me. So I am a Leo sun and I'm a Pisces moon and an Aquarius rising. I want to just tell you, I'm not an astrologist. Okay. So please just, if you're, if you're out there and you are like an astrology expert, I'm probably getting some of this really, really wrong. And I'm going to butcher some of this, but from what I know, and from what I've learned about astrology, what my combination of signs means and really speaks to me is that I am a Leo sun. So that is like, that is like who I strive to be and who I, who I want to be is sort of a person. Like I like being a person on, in the spotlight, if you will. Now, the thing is because of my Pisces moon, the the Pisces sign is very, very, it's a water sign. So it's very emotional and your moon sign is all about your emotions. So it makes sense. I'm a very emotional person. And then the Aquarius rising is basically showing this is the person that I really feel like I am. So I'm an Aquarius at heart. Like this is my, um, true, like it's, that's what comes easy to me is being an Aquarius. Now, the thing about an Aquarius is they definitely are for the the greater good and, and community and for change and transformation, and I'm for all of that. But they also are sometimes a little bit out there, a little bit awkward, a little bit weird. <laughs> they kind of like to let their freak flag fly, and I definitely like to let my freak flag fly for sure. And they also, one interesting thing about Aquarians is that it's an air sign and they're very airy. Like they, they don't really feel anchored or tethered to anyone or anything. They feel a bit like an outsider a lot of the time. And that is a thousand billion percent me is I've always felt like an outsider, even though I, you know, I have friends and I'm not like a total weirdo, but I've never really felt like I fit in exactly. And I was telling a friend about that this recently. And she said, I bet you nobody would think that about you. And I'm like, well, <laughs> it is totally true. I probably fake it a little. Well, not really fake it, but I, I think that's my Leo side coming through is that like, I mean, I don't want to seem aloof or anything like that. And I don't feel aloof, but I just sort of feel different. Like, I don't know, like I see things from a different point of view. So that's the Aquarian in me, but yet I also am moving toward my Leo son, which a Leo does want to be, uh, kind of make a splash and to be in the public eye and to really be in the limelight and be in the spotlight. I've never really felt comfortable with that role of like, uh, that kind of a spotlight, like a really showy spotlight that doesn't make me comfortable. So the Aquarian in me and that Pisces emotional moon side, it all kind of fits together and works together that it makes me an unconventional Leo. So I'm not the Leo that's up there in shiny glittery outfits and like strutting down a runway. That is not going to be me ever, 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 ever because of these other aspects of my of my signs. So <laughs> I love learning more about astrology. And like I said, I'm still, I'm still learning for sure, but that's what I've gathered. And I want to share with you some other like charts and kind of personality tests that I've done for anyone interested. And I want to share them with the caveat that it's not that I'm just navel gazing and like, I just constantly am looking up things about myself because I'm, you know, 
super self-centered and just do this all day. But I have been kind of looking at these types of personality tests and that kind of thing over the last many, many years. And every time I do get my human design chart read or my birth chart read or all these different things, I find it so interesting because they basically help me give myself grace for who I am. So they allow me to see myself almost sometimes more clearly and better than I could even put myself into words, right? I am just me, like I'm just living in my body and I can't always describe or describe how I feel or describe like who I am. Like it's hard for me to do that sometimes, but when I see it on paper and I can go, oh my gosh, that is me. Like that's me to a T, that's amazing. And what it can do is it can give you the grace to kind of go, okay, well, that's not a weakness. Like that's just part of who I am. So I don't need to see this thing that before maybe I thought it was a weakness or a flaw. It's actually just a part of who I am. It's something that I I can work with, but it just is a piece of me. It's not bad. It's just a piece of me, an element of me. And now I understand why I am that way because it's just part of my design. Like it's part of my personality. And so... That's why I love doing these kinds of charts. I don't, they're certainly not something I take as um, completely to the, to the letter. There's some elements that I might take or leave, but a lot of times the charts that I've gotten read, like my birth chart for the astrology, and then my human design chart have felt absolutely right on. So my human design is I'm a generator, and I'm not going to go into this because that would take far too long, but for anyone who understands human design, I am a generator with an emotional authority, and my profile is role model hermit, which totally fits. And again, it's so similar to that Leo and Aquarius energy that I was just talking about role model, like the, 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 the Leo and then the hermit, sort of that otherworldly, unattached, sort of distant Aquarian energy. Then it also goes in just a little bit to my Ayurvedic chart, which I am pretty much like, I don't know, a lot percent, about 80%, 70 to 80% vata, and then the rest pitta and almost zero kapha. So kapha is earth energy. Pitta is fire. So there's that Leo again. And vata is air, ether. So that's that Aquarius. So it's just interesting to me to see them all kind of line up in this way that uh, really makes sense. Like there's really a lot of consistency between these completely different types of charts and, and, and tests and different ways you can look at yourself and your health and your constitution. Oh, I guess there's one more, and that is the Myers-Briggs personality test, which I'm an INFJ. So uh, introvert, intuitive, feeling, and judging. And I know that when I was younger, the first time I took that test uh, way back, gosh, I was probably probably about 19. Uh, and I know at that time I was an E. So I think I was an ENFJ. So everything the same except I was an E, so extroverted. And I think that's really interesting because I would say that I am definitely introverted. But I think at the time, I probably thought I was supposed to be extroverted because I think that society tends to push that on people to, you know, go out there and go get them and make friends and do all these things and put yourself out there. And I did that. And I think I really burnt myself out. Um, I definitely was a leader. I was a leader. I, I had leadership roles throughout my school age days and 
when I was younger, I definitely was a leader and I definitely was a go-getter. You know, there's that generator in me for the human design friends out there, but I really did burn myself out from a young age. I think I just overdid and I tried to be an extrovert when really I really have always meant to be an introvert. I do believe that we we do change over the years, but I also believe that we have a core a core way of being that stays relatively consistent. So I think that sometimes these tests can be, like I said, you can't necessarily take them for the Bible. You know, they're not necessarily every aspect is going to be completely static and remain the same forevermore about you, but it's kind of a cool way to, to look at yourself at a snapshot at a point in your life and then maybe to compare and then just to say, wow, this really is me. <laughs> like these really are aspects of me that are nev- never changing. They're very, very stable. And then there are maybe some aspects that do change a little bit over the years as I come more into myself. And that's what I found that as I've come more into myself, I've really been like, wow, these are the things that have stayed the same. And these are the things that have changed a little bit. So, okay, so that's enough of that. I hope that if you are a chart reading person, you kind of got a feel for me. And if you haven't read charts on yourself, go get one done. If you're curious, it's a lot of fun. Like I said, really gives yourself some space to give yourself some grace. Okay, so another person had asked me about some of the energy practices and like the energy work that I'd done. And I am going to just briefly touch on that because I could talk about this forever, but I've been going to different energy healers and different types of doing different types of energy work on myself and with various uh, Reiki masters and acupuncturists and also just energy medicine practitioners. I've been doing this for many, many, many years. And I will say that I'm actually very open to energy and I can feel energy very, very quickly and very, very easily in my body. I I remember one time um, going to a, a almost every energy worker that I know, by the way, that I've worked with has been somebody who I've known in my, in my personal life. And so I feel very comfortable with them often. This isn't the case for everybody, but in many cases, I feel very comfortable with them already. But there's something different about going into the session and it's like the door closes and I already feel safe with them. So I think that's why I can so quickly and easily kind of allow my energy to flow <laughs> with them is I already feel quite comfortable. The door closes and I'm in it. Like I am in the session. And there's been a few times where I've literally started uh, feeling energy course up and down my body, like buzz around my head in an instant, or I'll be crying in an instant, just completely unexpected, like da da da, having a great day. And then the door closes to the session and boom, just tears. It's so interesting. There's also been times where I've been on the floor, like my body just sort of like, like moving in ways that I've never thought it could move and making sounds that I never thought it could make. And that might sound kind of creepy to some people like, oh my gosh, what's going on with Brie? What are you saying? But basically the thing is everything on this, in this world is energy. So we all know that my voice, my the sound waves that create my voice right now and allow you to hear what I'm saying and form these thoughts and these words, it's all just energy. It's waves. And we can accept that as truth, but then it, sometimes it's hard for us to believe that like, well, it's also energy that's made, that makes up our the table, the desk that I'm sitting at, that I'm knocking on right now. That's, that's 
energy. It's not actually solid. It's energy. It's particles that have a ton of space between them. And they're just vibrating and and moving. And, And there's this energy and space between them. Even though it seems solid, it's actually just energy, a big bundle of energy that's put together in a certain way. And the same with my, you know, microphone that I'm speaking into. That thing's just energy too. Me, my body is just energy. Your body is just energy. And so I really believe in the value of going and seeing practitioners that are skilled in helping you, you know, their client, helping them be able to move energy in their body and to feel that release of emotion and that release of stuck and stagnant energy because it can be so healing to experience that. And um, again, my, my best advice if you are kind of new to the world of energy work would be to feel really comfortable with the person you're working with, whether it's somebody you know in your personal life already who happens to be an energy worker, or if it's somebody that you've been, you know, these days everything is online, there's online sessions for everything. Maybe it's somebody you've been following for quite a long time and you really trust their work and that they're going to hold you, they're going to hold space for you and hold you safe and, you know, feel really, that you feel really comfortable with them because things do sometimes come out that you aren't necessarily expecting. Energy feels in ways that you might not expect and you need someone who you feel safe with. So I'll leave it at that, but I really think that it's definitely something that's more than just, oh, woo, you know, woo woo out there stuff. It's really, really powerful. So, okay. The next question is a little bit less out there and it's more about, it's, it's about food. So it's the question was, what foods do you hate? Because I, I talked about some things that they were like, I know you like chocolate, but what foods do you not like? So I definitely, in my last uh, podcast episode had talked about foods that I loved. I love dark chocolate and I eat it every single day. And I don't think I talked about this, but I also love potato chips so much. Oh my gosh. I really eat pretty clean, but I do treat myself to potato chips, the kind with ridges. They got to have ridges, um, but those are my favorite. And I also love white rice with butter and soy sauce or Bragg's liquid aminos is what I use. It's uh, gluten-free. <laughs> and I love that more than anything. When somebody first told me about rice with butter and soy sauce, I was like, that's disgusting. But then I tried it and it is so, so good. Oh my gosh. Also toast with olive oil and kosher salt, like kosher flake salt sprinkled upon it. Oh, that is so good too. Gluten-free toast for me. So maybe I said that in the last podcast. I can't remember now, but this question is about foods that I hate. So the foods that I hate is very few. I really love food. I love all types of food, but I do not like meats that I can't identify, like processed meat products that I don't know what they are. Now, I will admit, I sometimes like a good hot dog. (laughs) They're so gross, but I kind of love them. But other kinds of like sausages that are really squishy, Ooh, I can't do that. Or other types of sort of processed meat products that, yeah, definitely that's what I don't like. And a little funny aside is that there was two foods, healthy foods, that I hated when I was pregnant. One of them was carrots. I had an extreme aversion to carrots when I was pregnant. And I also had an extreme aversion to cashew nuts. 
but only during labor. So (laughs) this one is something I will never forget. I was in the transition phase of labor and I was really, really, really angry when my husband came over to me and he'd been eating cashews and he had cashew breath that sent me through the roof in anger. I was so mad and I literally wanted to punch him. It was just awful. So the cashews and the carrots, I'll never forget those. Those were like my worst nightmare when I was pregnant. (laughs) Other than that though, I am pretty much aversion free and I love food. Okay, the next question is about belly dancing and tell me more about belly dancing. So this is going long, so I'm going to make this pretty quick. So I took belly dancing classes when I was in, oh gosh, I think it was after, it was like graduate school. And the fun thing is that I ended up having the belly dance teacher be a part of my wedding. I had a salsa dancer, which who was one of my best friends, actually. She was an amazing salsa dancer. And I had a belly dancer at my wedding. Isn't that the funnest? I just, I love, I love to make people happy and have fun. And I love enter- entertainment at weddings. And so, yes, we had a belly dancer and she was my belly dancing instructor. And I had a lot of fun. I actually, my mom was taking belly dance classes too. And so we did some belly dance classes together and then I went off and did them on my own. So I have a few years of belly dance instruction under my belt, although I still am such a beginner, but I have a lot of fun with it. Okay, the very last question is, how to cure constipation. Um, This person reached out and said, I know that you've talked about your constipation issues in the past. How did you get rid of it? So yes, I have talked about my constipation issues in the past and I am totally open to talking about it, even though it's weird and kind of embarrassing, but I once went for almost a month without going to the bathroom, without going number two. And that was when I was before I realized that I needed to be eating gluten-free and dairy-free. I was in my uh, earlier college years and I was on a trip and my body does not do well with travel. Even though I love traveling, I don't respond very well to it. I get really, really stopped up. I can't eliminate effectively and sleep is hard for me. So pooping, sleeping, all that stuff is just hard when I travel. And that happened for three weeks. We were in Bolivia and we were eating, you know, I mean, it was just college kids. Like we were, we were eating bread. I don't know. I I feel like we probably were drinking beer and wine too. I don't remember, but (laughs) I know we were pretty much subsisting off of bread and bread is pretty much the worst thing that I could have for my body. And so I was terribly stopped up. I was in so much discomfort by the end of that trip. By the time I finally went to the bathroom, you can imagine it was um, a challenging scene. So that was that. And honestly, I'd had a lifetime of constipation leading up to that. Uh, After my colonoscopy, when I was 20, uh, I was diagnosed with IBS constipation prone. So irritable, irritable bowel syndrome, constipation prone, which pretty much tells you nothing except that you get constipated. And so over the years, I have dealt with it in so many ways. Of course, changing my diet was a huge part of it. Realizing my food sensitivities and dealing with those, managing those was helpful. Um, but 
I actually, if anyone has the Lyft bundle, so the Lyft bundle or the Lyft VIP bundle, you will have access to something called the Smooth Move System for Constipation Relief. And that's a cool little set of documents and videos. One of the videos is uh, abdominal massage. So it shows you how to do an abdominal massage, which is a very, very helpful practice that I do regularly uh, on my belly. And that's helpful. And then the other thing is a whole bunch of recipes for what I call smooth move smoothies that use a base of either okra, which sounds really weird, I'm sure, but it's actually quite good if you just use it in small doses. It's quite flavorless once it's blended in with other things. So okra, and then there's an alternative that uses chia seeds and flax seeds. And both okra and then the chia flax combo, they're mucolaginous. So they create this sort of mucousy, <laughs> slimy substance that is very actually quite soothing for your gut and helps move things along. So I love those smoothies. But also in that smooth move system, um, little thing that you have access to if you have the Lyft bundle or the Lyft bundle VIP. There's also another uh, section in, in that particular course, the, the Smooth Move System course. There's a little section that has additional tips, and I've compiled probably 15 to 20 various tips that are all helpful, but the thing is everyone is so different. And so what works for me may not work for you. And that's why I've compiled all of these various tips from different types of teas and warm drinks and different types of uh, things like stewed fruits that recipes and different things that you can use to try to help relieve your constipation. Um, but I'll tell you the thing that's helped me the most besides all the the food and the abdominal massage and all that that I just mentioned, the thing that's helped the most is making sure that I have a morning routine that's consistent, that involves quiet space, freedom, unstructured time in the morning where I have my own space. <laughs> and I know that's hard to work in for many people, especially with bigger families. Um, I have a husband, I have a son. Um, but they know, like I, I get up early to allow this time and everyone knows mom needs her time in the morning and I'm open with it. Like I'm open about it to my family. They know, they understand and they give me my time, but I like to do my meditation, my little movement practice, my little energy practice that I do. I have my warm drink, which used to be coffee, but now it's Rasa, which is caffeine free. And then I, after I've had sufficient time and I just feel very calm and relaxed, then I'll go to work. And it sounds really strange that work helps me go to the bathroom, but it does. And I, I go to my computer and often I'll go to my laptop computer and actually will lay on my belly. To me, this is like the biggest thing. It helps me almost every time, every time if things are feeling a little slow, a little sluggish, laying on my belly, like in a sphinx pose. So I'm on my, I'm propped up on my elbows, but I'm on my belly. And I just, you know, type away on my little keyboard or look at my emails, do whatever I need to do. Almost instantly, I am like to the bathroom. <laughs> so that pressure on the belly, that sort of constant, consistent pressure on the belly while I'm in a relaxed state and just starting to kind of put my mind on something else, which is work. That helps me feel that urge. So that is what's helped me the most. Okay. <laughs> I think we got through all those questions. You now know a lot about me. And so we'll leave it at that. But 
we're not done. I am really excited to share with you the top three things about your pelvic floor that you did not learn in school. So this is just some some kind of fun things. I was thinking about them. They came to me on my walk and um, I thought I'd write them down and, and put them in a podcast and here we go. So the first thing about your pelvic floor that you did not learn in school is actually a trick question. The number one thing is that you even have a pelvic floor right? I mean, who, who even learned about pelvic floors in school at all? So the first thing, it's a trick question. Like I said, it's a trick answer. Uh, the first thing is that you even have a pelvic floor. So I'm not going to go too far into like about the pelvic floor or about pelvic health. I'm simply just going to make a, a statement yet again. I've made this statement before many times, but why do we not teach our kids? Why do we not have schools address the importance of pelvic health and just this basic piece of our our body we don't i mean there's so many ways that you can keep it very very general very basic but the fact that i didn't even learn about the pelvic floor until i mean i think it was glossed over in physical therapy school but i it took specializing so many many years i went through you know full undergraduate degree full graduate degree barely learned about the pelvic floor in graduate school learned a little bit but not a lot and then it was really only until i specialized in pelvic floor physical therapy that i learned about it and so i just think that's the number one thing about pelvic health or pelvic floors that we didn't learn in school is that you even have a pelvic floor and i mean Honestly, the the statistics about incontinence and prolapse are staggering. You know, one in three women will deal with bladder leakage. 50% of women who've given birth have some degree of prolapse. Incontinence is actually one of the leading reasons for admittance into skilled nursing facilities. So nursing homes, when people lose control of their bladder they're considered you know that they don't they don't have um functional independence anymore and that's a huge reason for being admitted to a nursing home so it's really really crazy that we are not taught about this very basic part of our body that helps to control basic functions of daily life such as elimination that we all do multiple times a day (laughs) our pelvic floor muscles and our sphincters and and that that whole part of our body is just overlooked. When we pee and poop out of there, we have sex out of there, we have babies out of there. Like it's a really important part of our body and I just wish it was not overlooked. So you even listening to this podcast are helping to make changes because you are aware. You also, like I know I'm preaching to the choir here, you understand the importance as well. But I think the more that we can talk about it with our friends and our family and make changes and ripples in our own communities and in our own little worlds, the more we can help change the world and make this more of an area that is talked about and accepted. So that's the first thing. The second thing about our pelvic floor that we did not learn in school is that doing kegels like crazy can actually hurt your pelvic floor. So again, I'm going to say that again, doing kegels like crazy can actually hurt your pelvic floor. So we didn't learn that. We learned that, well, I mean, if we learned anything about a pelvic floor, definitely not in school, but maybe from our, you know, gynecologist or our midwife after we had a baby, oh, go do some kegels, right? Well, doing kegels like crazy, (laughs) which some people do, can really, really impact your pelvic floor. It can cause excessive pelvic tension. It can cause a lot of pain. And it can, when those muscles are too tight and too tense, which often happens, especially if you have bladder leakage or if you have prolapse and you're wanting desperately to keep everything in 
<laughs> you want to keep your bladder leakage under control. You want to keep your pelvic organs in place. So you're gripping and holding all day long. And the problem with that is that when you do that, it's actually over-tightening those muscles, over-activating those muscles, and it's causing irritation. It's squeezing around the bladder, the urethra, constantly, and that's causing more frequency, more urgency, potentially more leakage. It's also potentially squeezing around your shifted organs if you have prolapse. It's pulling things and moving things in a funny way when those muscles are too tight. And so we really need to understand that overdoing kegels is not a good thing and many people get the message that you know more is better than less and that's not always the case sometimes in fact oftentimes less is more and in the case of kegels that can be true for many people that less can be more and i had just actually recently received a message from a woman who is going through a stressful time in her life and she was saying that because of the stress some of her symptoms of pelvic floor issues had been getting worse and so she said I've been doing kegels all day long, but my muscles just, you know, she's like, is it normal for my pelvic floor to feel numb? Like I can't even feel anything anymore. And my symptoms just seem to be getting worse, but I just feel numb in my pelvic area. And I said, oh honey, no, this is, this is not normal. This is, this is a direct reflection of somebody who feels like they're doing the right thing because again, we're not educated on this. We're not educated in this part of our body at all. And then when we are educated, we're told to go do, you know, 100 kegels a day or whatever we're told, kegels are going to cure you. Well, that's not necessarily the case. And so again, more is not better. And in the case of this particular woman, um, I, I, I had to tell her, I said, you know, I'm not diagnosing you right now. You're not my patient, but I'll tell you, you're probably going to want to back off those kegels because that feeling of numbness often happens when your muscles are overly activated, overly tense, and they, 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 they have to let go. It's like you've held your hand in a fist for like, you know, hours and it goes numb and you can't feel it anymore. And sometimes it hurts when you start letting it go. It can feel really uncomfortable to release that fist and, Sometimes that can happen when you are healing an overactive pelvic floor as well. There can be some pain as you start to unravel that tension, but it really is important. So yeah, so that's the second thing that we didn't learn in, in school about the pelvic floor is that you want to be careful with your kegels. Okay, so the third thing that we never learned in school about our pelvic floor is that they are really cool muscles because they are actually an emotional muscle. They hold your emotions, your hip flexors, your pelvic floor, all of these deep, deep core muscles are very, very closely connected. And there's a lot of nerves that go through there. There's a lot of motor innervation that goes from your brain to your body. And there's a lot of sensory afferent innervation that goes from your body to your brain. There's a lot of communication between brain and body in this region. And some of the deep, deep um, nerves, like the vagus nerve also travels very closely to this part of the body, which is part of that you know parasympathetic nervous system that rest and digest but the sympathetic nerves go through there too so nerves that are responsible for the calming down response or the activating response so the activating kind of like let's get ready to fight or you know save ourselves so we have that fight or flight response nerves going through this deep area of the body and also the calming response too so a lot of emotional responses and then just a lot of motor and sensory nerves in this part of the body and because of all that we literally hold stress and emotions in this part of our body and 
Our pelvic floor muscles activate just as readily, if not more readily, to stress and emotion as do our upper traps. So those muscles of our upper neck and shoulder area that tend to get knots, well, our pelvic floor is the exact same. And we take for granted that when we're stressed out, our shoulders are gonna get tense and knotted up and we're gonna get headaches, but we never think about our pelvic floor. And it turns out they're just as impacted by our emotions as is the shoulder area. So one way you can think of this too is like, think of feeling really stressed out. Think of feeling anxious. Think of being that state of being like anal retentive, right? (laughs) So we think of somebody who's anal retentive. They're a little bit stressed out and they're kind of control freaks. Um, My hand is a little bit raised right now. Okay. Just so everyone knows I'm raising my hand right now. This anal retentive control freak. What do we think of? We think of a tight anus. And the anal sphincter is is right in there with the pelvic floor muscles themselves. It's part of it. It's part of the pelvic floor complex. And so literally people who are stressed and anxious and, you know, have these control issues tend to be emotionally holding. And what do we emotionally hold? The pelvic floor. We squeeze our butt muscles. We tense our hip. Our hip flexors are often tight and tense. Our pelvic floor is often tight and tense and stuck. The other thing is when we're not breathing well, which is very common when we are stressed and maybe we're a little bit emotional or what have you or anxious, we're usually breathing pretty shallow up high in our chest and and neck area. And we're, we're not using our diaphragm to the full capacity. It's not able to, it doesn't come down and up as much as it should, the breathing diaphragm. And the pelvic floor is very connected with the breathing diaphragm. They move together. And so when your breathing diaphragm is stuck and tense, and it's not really moving well because you're not breathing with it as, as well as you should be. You're breathing up high in your chest and neck area. Your diaphragm is stuck and your pelvic floor is often tight and stuck too. So again, it's all just feeding into the fact that the pelvic floor muscles, they, they hold our emotions. They are impacted. The pelvic floor muscles hold and store our emotions. They're also impacted by our emotions. Again, when we're not breathing well, when we're anxious, when we're stressed, our pelvic floor will feel it. When we're feeling anal retentive and control freaky and anxious and whatever, our pelvic floor is often going to be tight. Our butt muscles are going to be tight. The other thing that you may have experienced is the the uh, impact of doing exercises. If you do happen to be a person who, well, we all, if you, if you have noticed that you store emotions in your pelvic floor area, if this is ringing true to you, you might have experienced the fact that certain stretches and certain exercises that focus on your hips can really, really cause you to cry or feel emotional or feel anger, can feel all this stuff that's held in this part of your body. So it's it's fascinating. I've had so many people reach out to me and one person actually did one of my uh, hip circle videos recently and she said, I was shocked. I was totally startled because I just started crying in the middle of the hip circles workout. And she's like, I was having a lot of fun, but I just started crying. And I've experienced personally the same thing with, uh, for me, it was with very slow, kind of super slowed down, sensual dance movements. This very, very slow, sensual dance class that I was a part of, the moves were so slow, but they were all centered on the pelvis and moving the the hips and that part of your body. And I was just in a blubbering heap on the floor. And I hadn't experienced that before. It hit me 
out of the blue. But many people who have experienced this in yoga class with deep hip opener stretches and that kind of thing, and again, it's knocked them off their feet. I know that I had a woman in one of my fan fusion classes when I was teaching group fitness classes in my local area, and we were just doing like hip extension exercises at the ballet bar. So we were standing and doing like leg lifts. It was definitely not something she was expecting or I for anyone in my class to get emotional, but she just broke down. So anytime you're moving and using or stretching those muscles of your body, you may experience a rush of emotions and a, and a release. And it kind of goes back to that energy thing that I was talking about earlier. Don't feel like it's, you know, it's, it's not a bad thing. It's actually a beautiful thing and energy can get stuck and it's wonderful when we can let it go. So let the tears flow, let the emotions come out, let the anger come out. You know, it's better out than in, definitely. The weight of unshed tears can absolutely weigh down our bodies. It can impact our emotions and our moods, but also our physical health too. So let them go. Okay, so those are the top three things, but I do have a bonus thing. One bonus thing about your pelvic floor that you did not learn in school I can promise you did not learn this one in school, is that your, and wait for it, wait for it, because you're, you're about to be like, Brie, you've really gone off the deep end here, but I haven't, I promise you. Number four bonus tip is that your pelvic floor can talk to you, okay? So your pelvic floor can talk to you if only you would listen. <laughs> now, if you just, if you are with me, you might already be doing this, but it's so powerful to start asking your body questions and then getting quiet and listening for answers and meditation has really helped me with this over the years i actually have a new meditation course called elevate if you're interested in just kind of exploring this mind body connection slowing down connecting with your breath um getting more in touch with your body and learning to love your body a little bit more i have some really nice guided meditations that that are connected with workouts and journal prompts that help you just get to know yourself and your body and actually improve your pelvic health uh, through a very simple kind of user-friendly introductory level course for meditation. It does, it's not crazy woo-woo. It's not crazy out there. It's a really neat course. If you're interested, I hope you'll check it out. It's called Elevate. But the point is not about my course. The point is that meditation has helped me understand that my pelvic floor can talk to me. And I have a theory. It's, it's sort of related to the chakra system, which I'm not going to get into today, but the chakra system is all, it's, it's energy centers in your body. And I have this theory that we have a brain. We, you know, obviously we have a brain and then we have our gut brain. So we have the nervous system in our you know head and our spinal cord. And then we have the enteric nervous system. So the central nervous system is our brain area. The enteric nervous system is our gut area. And there's this gut-brain axis, which science has shown. You can look this up anywhere. This is not crazy. This is science. It shows that there is direct connections, this bi-directional communication between your, your brain and your gut and between your gut and your brain. And in both you know areas, we've got these neurotransmitters that are sending all these signals and they help regulate your emotions and all of that is going on in the gut and the brain. So that's a, it's a head brain and a gut brain, but then there's also a little brain, I call it a brain, in your heart, and I think also in your root, so the root of your body, your pelvic floor, essentially. And in that pelvic floor area, we have the womb for female. Even if you have had a hysterectomy, you still have that energy there. So we've got the womb in males. We have you know all of those sexual organs too. I mean, we've got 
a lot of energy going on in that root part of your body, including your pelvic floor muscles. It's all right there. It's all hooked in. And so if you were to go from top to bottom, it would be head, brain, so brain, brain. And then we have the heart brain that has an electromagnetic field around it that allows you to feel that heart connection with another person. It allows you to sense and tune in. It's like a feeling brain. And I think of that as connected with the pelvic floor, the root brain. So again, head on the top, then we have the heart brain, then we have the gut brain, the enteric nervous system, and then we have our root brain. And that root brain, our pelvic floor, our sexual organs, even our organs of elimination, these all have messages for us, they all have signals for us, and they have feelings that they can communicate to us. Now, do I have scientific evidence about the root brain? No, I do not. But I do have, there is, you know, absolutely, you can look up the innervation of this area and there are a ton of nerves, which I've already spoken to. There's definitely innervation in this area. There's definitely communication from the body to the brain and the brain to the body in this area. But there's also this sense of intuitive knowingness that you can connect into when you start getting to know your body and kind of opening yourself up to these energy centers. And one of the most beautiful things you can ask yourself and feel into either your heart brain, so placing your hand on your heart, or your root brain, so placing your hand literally on your perineum or kind of over your womb area, your uterus, your ovary area. Um, you know, any of these reproductive areas, this root part of your body, so your heart brain or your womb, your womb and root brain, you can tune in and ask yourself, what do I have energy for today? And that is truly one of the most loving questions that you can ask yourself. What do I have energy for today? And another way to say it is, what does my body need today? So if you take some deep breaths, settle into the moment and place your hand on your heart brain or your root brain. So we're not so much in our thinking head brain. We're not even so much in our gut brain. Although some people do feel a lot of intuition and intuitive hits from their, from their gut. So you can, you can do whatever you want to do, honestly. But for me, being the feeling person that I am, being the emotional person that I am, I find it to be most effective to put my hand on my heart brain or my root brain. And I just ask, I say, what do I have, what do I have energy for today? And so, for example, today I happen to be, as the time of this recording, um, it's not going to air for a little while, but at the time of this recording, I am pretty close to my period and I'm feeling pretty low energy. And I knew that my brain brain, my head brain, thought that I should probably work out. Like, you know, do something kind of hardcore, like, I'm not hardcore, but just like lift some weights because I haven't lifted weights in a while and I like to do that for my bone health and my muscle mass and that kind of thing. So I was like, you should really lift weights and you should probably do some yoga because you haven't done yoga in a couple days and you like doing yoga every day and you haven't done that. But I was just so low energy. And so I tuned into my root brain and I said, what do I have energy for today? And it said, go for a walk. So I went outside and I was walking so slow. And normally I am such a fast walker. Another little fast fact about me is that my friends like to say that I have rockets coming out of my ass. Sorry for the vulgar language, um, but that's what they say. But <laughs> I walk really, 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 really fast. It's just how I'm wired. I just go. And I have kind of long legs, so I'm a hard person to walk with. I'm not very fun for a lot of people. I have a really hard time slowing down. And Anyway, though, today I was just 
snail's pace, walking in this regular walk that I always walk. And I kept thinking to myself, you are like, you really should be burning more calories, Brianne. And I'm embarrassed even saying this to you because this is not a mentality that I think is good. So I'm really just outing myself right now. Like this is not good at all that I like, I don't like that I was thinking that, but I was, I was thinking you should be burning more calories. You know, your arms are getting flabby. You should probably do some weights. All of these terrible self-talk things were happening, but I said, no, I am listening to my root. I'm listening to my pelvic floor. My pelvic floor is talking to me and it wants to go slow. And this is the best thing I could possibly do to myself. Because honestly, if I were to push myself harder than I want to and feel right about in this phase of my cycle, especially my menstrual cycle, because like I mentioned, my period's about to start. And I'm like, if I would push myself harder, if I would go by my brain brain rather than my root brain, my intuitive brain, my root brain, you know? If I were to go by my brain brain, I would push myself and I'd ultimately be stressing my body. Exercise is a stressor. It's a, it taxes the body, it stresses the body, and I'd be pumping out cortisol that would ultimately make me more inflamed and cortisol actually can contribute to weight gain. And I, I'm, I don't want to imply that I'm making this about my weight because honestly my weight is a very, very little, small amount of why I work out. I work out so I can feel good. My mood and my mental health is far more important to me than anything else. So that's why I work out. But I'm just saying, in general, if you are stressed and you have excess cortisol in your body, it can cause you to hang on to extra weight. And so I've always said to myself that honestly, relaxation can be a weight loss activity, a weight management activity, because it's helping you to calm those cortisol levels. And I knew that if I was going to push myself, I would just be pumping up that cortisol. I'd be stressing out my body. You know, my pelvic floor is feeling a little bit, it feels a little funny at this time of the month. Everything feels a little like heavier and just like, I don't want to push myself. And so I didn't, but it was all because I talked to my pelvic floor. I talked to my root. And then the key is that I listened to it. So that is my bonus tip for you is that the pelvic floor talks, you just have to listen. And there we have it. That is, <laughs> that was an action-packed episode. We talked about me. <laughs> we talked about constipation. <laughs> we talked about all sorts of things. And then we shared the, or I shared the top three things about your pelvic floor that you did not learn in school plus a bonus tip. So if you enjoyed this show, I hope more than anything that you will share it with a friend. To be honest with you, I just do stuff like podcasting. I just do it. I have no idea like how to make this podcast more um, well listened to. I think it has to do with number of downloads, but I'm not really sure. So I think number of downloads has to do with people who subscribe. So if you would like to support my podcast, please subscribe. And I know that it's helpful to leave a review and to share it with a friend because sharing is caring and it's just going to help someone else feel less alone. And that's why I do what I do. That's why I share what I share. That's why I'm that weird Leo Aquarius who's like the Leo who wants to share stuff. But I'm also this weird kind of out there Aquarian who is not really fitting in because I know I'm a weirdo. But the thing is, everybody's a weirdo a little bit, even if you're not an Aquarius like me. Everybody's a little bit weird, and I just hope to make people feel a little bit less alone. So share this with someone who might need it, and thank you so much for your time and your attention. 
And check the show notes if there's anything you wanted to learn more about, including my lift program, my elevate program, or just how to get in touch with me. Until next time, remember, eat clean, move every day, and you will shine brighter. Thank you so much for listening. And if this podcast was helpful for you today, please share it with a friend. Tell them, you know, what you learned and how it's going to be helpful and amazing for them to talk about this stuff. Don't forget to subscribe and also check the show notes for all the links you need, including how to follow me on Instagram and YouTube. And until next time, remember, you don't have to be an expert, but every woman should know a bit. We'll see you next time.